Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the Scriptures for us and excited to do so on this wonderful Christmas morning. Merry Christmas to you. We are so thankful that we're able to worship together on this Sunday morning and to worship our King, who we know who has been born, not just the King of the Jews, but the King of the whole world. And so we get to worship Him together this morning, and we get to finish our, our Christmas series, uh, which we titled A Story uh, for the Nations. If you're a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible, but because of the Christmas season, we felt like it would be a good time for us to think about the Christmas story. And every time we hear God's Word, uh, we want to respond to it, we want to submit our lives to it, we want to uh, give ourselves to it. So even though we may not be walking through a book of the Bible here this morning, as we walk through this story, it's a, it's a way for us to worship and to obey. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that God loves you. And as you hear about the gospel this morning, I pray that God works in your heart today and that you may come to faith in Christ and also join with us in worship. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page 855. When Ashley and I were engaged, many of you may remember this, when you were engaged to be married, you uh, did wedding invitations. You did wedding invitations, and uh, I'm sure for many of you, they were really exciting. Uh, you, you get to design them, get to send them out, you get to, you know, you got you to have a list Right, and you may have some arguments on who is on that list that you're going to invite for that wedding day, uh, because we can't just invite everybody. Because uh, if you're providing food, that would be really expensive. So you have to mark those names down. You got to send them out. And when people receive them, you receive an invitation that says you're invited to so and so's wedding. It's not only an invitation, though, is it? It's an invitation, but it's also an announcement that these two people are going to commit their lives together in a covenant of marriage. And so, yes, it is an invitation, but it's also an announcement inviting those to come and be a part of this, to be witnesses, to join in this ceremony of marriage. In the same way, in this story, we're going to see an announcement and an invitation. We're going to see an announcement and an invitation. So here's what we see in the story. The birth of Jesus announces God's salvation to the world and welcomes the nations to join. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just like every Sunday, we come to God's Word. What should we do? What should we know? How should we respond to God's Word? The Christmas story is the announcement of salvation and an invitation to the world to worship Jesus. We know this announcement. It's why you were here this morning. But it's not just an announcement. It's an invitation that we get to carry and get to ask others to join into all over the world. It's an invitation and it's an announcement. As we gather here for worship on this Christmas morning, we come to worship a King, King Jesus. We come to praise Him for all He has done and all He's done in us. We're all, we also come to praise God who sent Him, who gave of His only Son. And the birth of Jesus is both a promise realized here in the story and a promise to hold on to. You see, the birth story is one for us to consider who Jesus is, why He came, and what we should do moving forward. 
the promise realized and a promise to hold on to so that we may announce this salvation and then we may invite others to worship Jesus. So as we walk through the story, I want to ask three questions this morning. Three questions of our passage this morning. Number one, why should someone worship Jesus? Why should someone worship Jesus? Look back there, chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered that she became pregnant uh, before they had come together from the Holy Spirit. Now, it wasn't that she was trying to hide that she was pregnant. It's just what Matthew's saying is it became obvious that she was pregnant. She couldn't go about uh, walking around without knowing that she was pregnant. Verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. And just a quick note here. Notice how Matthew relates righteousness to mercy and kindness. Notice what Joseph does here. He doesn't try to publicly disgrace her. No, he is righteous in the way that he's trying to handle this situation. But what happens is God's going to begin to announce that his salvation is coming to the world. And this announcement is where we receive reasons why someone should worship Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Look there at verse 20. But after he'd consider these things, that's Joseph, he's trying to think of any other possible way. What could happen? You, could, you can imagine him walking in his house, walking back and forth. Is there any way that, that Mary's been unfaithful to me? He's trying to figure out what to do. What can I do to care for her? And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The information that Joseph needed where he's racking his brain, what he needed was only provided by God. It's his first announcement that tells us that God is doing something miraculous in the world. Joseph does not need to worry. Mary has not been unfaithful to him. And in fact, she has been faithful to God. And God has chosen her to carry his son. And the Messiah, this was promised to Abraham and David. Remember back to last week, the first part of chapter 1. He is about to be born, this Messiah. But he's not only human, he's divine. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, being God's son. And we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is extremely important. As Matthew showed us last week, he's the promised Messiah in David's line, but he does not carry the curse of sin because he was not born of his father Joseph. And he is able to obey God as a true son. It's important, church, that we understand on this Christmas morning that Jesus is not some third option. He's not some hybrid of of something new. Jesus is fully 100% God. He is fully 100% man. This is important for us. Because only God, Jesus, could pay the debt, but only man owed the debt. God didn't know it, but man couldn't pay it. So Jesus, as our Savior, as God's Son, is the one who can be perfect and then pay for our sin. Fully God, fully man. Jesus is God's Son, but Jesus is also the Savior of humanity. Look there, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Not only is Jesus divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit, he has a divine purpose, a purpose to save his people. But notice the salvation is very specific. 
We should worship Jesus because he is able to save us from our greatest enemy, sin. And it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that is our greatest problem. As we talk about the wonderful Christmas story, it's important that we understand how this salvation takes place. You see, we have sinned against God. It's an infinite offense. And only Jesus can bring us back into relationship with God. How does he do that? Jesus not only entered into our world as a baby, he lived a perfect life and then offered himself up on a cross to be killed in our place to pay for our debt that we owed. Jesus is the only one who can bring us back to God because he's the one who was crucified and killed in our place on an old Roman cross. It is this salvation that God has announced to Joseph that Jesus will save his people. But don't think his people as just Jewish people. Right? If, if you read on in Matthew's gospel, what you see is that God's people, Jesus' people, are those who repent and believe and trust in Jesus. So if you have repented and believed in Jesus, he has saved you from your sin. And anyone is invited to receive that salvation. So Jesus is the Savior of humanity, but he's also God with us. Look there at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what the uh, with what was spoken by the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is our Savior. But also, Matthew stressed the fact that Jesus is God's presence with us. In Christ, God is now walking in the world again. We just read John 1, 14. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The birth of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah made. That he is fully God and fully man because he was born to Mary, a virgin. God had not spoken to his people, though, for over 400 years. That's the exact opposite of feeling like God is with you, is it not? It's the exact opposite of his presence. But in the quietness and brokenness of the world, God now speaks. And he doesn't just speak, he enters into the world. God does something. Listen to this quote about the virgin birth. It says, is this not how it goes in the Old Testament? At the great turning points of history, we find a woman pregnant and an infant child brought into the world by the powerful promises of God. Israel's story is a story of miraculous birth. This virgin birth now brings God's presence into the world. Why? Because God wants to dwell with his people. And we see through his presence even with the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, God wanted to be with His people, but it wasn't complete. In Jesus, God breaks into the world again. And Jesus is with His people, but He doesn't stop there. Even though Jesus went to be with the Father, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. If you are a Christian this morning, God dwells in you. But that will not be the final reality for us. One day when Jesus returns, God will make all things new. And we will not dwell uh, here, we will dwell here with Him. He will be with His people forever, united in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, what does this take though? It takes Jesus dying the death that we deserve to pay for our sin. But Jesus did not stay dead. 
Jesus not only paid for our sin, he was raised to new life. If you jump to the last chapter of Matthew, you see Jesus raised to new life. He's vindicated by God as the final sacrifice for sin, as the true Savior of the world. It is that Jesus who tells his disciples that he will always be with them. Yes, Jesus died in our place for our sins, but he did not stay dead. He has been raised to new life. Jesus is a Savior worthy to be worshipped. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. You see, this first chapter ends with Joseph obeying the announcement. He does what God has told him, which leads us to the second question. Who in the story will worship Jesus? Who in the story will worship Jesus? Look there at chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, now this story takes place maybe two years later, wise men, that is Magi from potentially Persia, from the east, Matthew says, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now they were astrologers. They looked into the sky. They see something and they conclude that there has been a king born and he deserves to be worshipped. And this theme of worship now will dominate this story in chapter 2. The question though still remains, who will worship him? Jesus was not made king. Notice that. Jesus was not made king. They say there has been a king born. Who will worship him? Look at verse 3. When the king Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod does not like the fact that another king has been born. And maybe Jerusalem is disturbed because they know how he will respond. Verse 4. So he assembled all his chief priests and scribes and all the people and asked, where will the Messiah be born? So Herod gets all the right of religious people, all the leaders of the day, all the lawyers, all the priests, anyone who can tell him about the Messiah. He gathers them and he says, tell me where this Messiah is going to be born. And look, they tell him. Verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Notice something. The Magi see the star. The wise men see the star. They know that there's a king that should be worshipped, but they don't know where he is. And so they get to, to Israel and they ask, where, where is this king? And so what do they need? They need God's word, God's revelation for them to know where to go. It isn't only the star, but they, they receive God's word and now respond. Look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. This is going to be important later on. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. There's that, that word again, worship. But is Herod truly going to worship? Look at verse 9. <clears throat> and after hearing the king, they went on on their way. And there it was, the star at its rising. So now, they've seen the star moving. It shows them where to go, but now it's clear. God is working with this star. He is in full control. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. 
Let me be very clear. This star is an act of God's sovereign power. And he led these wise men to where Jesus was because this was a supernatural event. Verse 10. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Look back there at verse 10 again. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. This is what God's work does. When he announces salvation to the world, joy is the natural overflowing of emotion. It's what should happen in us. We should be joyful. Joy is how we worship. It's how our worship should be defined. We should be excited. We should be engaged. We should be joyful. Nobody likes a grouch and nobody likes a grinch on Christmas because we have seen, we have heard, Jesus is here. He's come for us. And what that should do is cause joy We should not come on Sunday mornings and be worn out and be cold and be lifeless. No, we should have joy. Not that those emotions aren't there, but that the joy in our lives because of Jesus is motivating us to be different than the world. Our worship should be defined as joyful. And look look what they do. Look at verse 11. Entering the house, they saw the child of Mary, his mother, And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship should not just be the only action we take. Worship should lead us to action. We don't come here to be passive partakers in Christ. We come to be built up so that we may respond each and every week. And be warned in a dream that not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now, let's look back in the story and see who truly worshiped Jesus. The obvious answer is the, the Magi, the wise men. Or they take an extremely long journey. They are led by God and His Scriptures and the star. And when they find Jesus, it's clear, they worship Him. They understand who He is and respond to Him by humbling themselves and offering Him gifts. All right, it says in verse 11, they fell to their knees. They prostrated. They humbled themselves to Jesus. Worship is built on a foundation of humility. Worship's built on a foundation of humility. We don't come here each week to build ourselves up, to think much of ourselves, because we come here to worship Jesus. And so we, when we come here, we have to cultivate humility. And when we cultivate that humility, that grows a deeper worship in our lives and in our church worship is built on humility do you need worship do you see this time each week as something that you need or is it just an add-on is it just something you enjoy or is it something that you need to come before the king of the world and to worship him what about who doesn't worship jesus in the story of course, we see Herod. Right? He, does, he does everything he can to rid Bethlehem of its rightful king. We know in the verses that follow, he even murders babies because he is afraid of this king. He does the exact opposite of worship. Herod is no true king of the Jews. He may sit on his throne, but he is no true king. And he tries to take its kingship by force. And he does not worship Jesus. 
But what about the religious leaders of Israel? What do they do? You know, they, they provide the correct answer, right? They provide the prophecy. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. They explain where he's going to be. They tell them where to go. But they completely miss Jesus. Completely miss Jesus. Just because someone has access to the Bible, to the Scriptures, or even know the Scriptures in and out, does not mean they know Jesus. Please do not equate with knowing things about God with knowing God. And that's what happened. They told the wise men where to go. They sent them where to go, and they completely miss it. They don't worship. They don't know Jesus. They don't know Him as the King of the world. Knowledge of Jesus must lead us to following Jesus. Paul says it in the negative, that we're responsible for what we know, and we're to respond in what we know as it calls us to action. And Think about this for a moment. We have Gentiles who worship Jesus, probably from Persia or Egypt or Babylon. But the Jews don't. His own people don't worship him. Matthew is clear that this Jewish king is not only Israel's king, but the king of the entire world. And these, these wise men come, and they're just a foreshadowing of the world that will worship Jesus one day, like we are right now. The Christmas story is an invitation to the world. Come and worship Jesus. It's an invitation to you. Come and worship Jesus. The question still remains though. It's our final question this morning. Will you worship Jesus? Will you worship Jesus? The question gets at the heart of Christmas. If Jesus is the newborn king, then we must make a decision. If Jesus pays for our sin, we must decide if we're going to do what he says to follow him and to receive that salvation. The wise men show us that a decision has to be made. And they make a decision. First, they follow the star. Right? God showed them where to go. Second, they listened to prophecy. And then thirdly, they obeyed the dream. Not to go back to Herod. They obeyed. Their worship led them to obedience. Interesting enough, we call these magi wise men, but why is that? They knew that Jesus was king, and they knew that that king should be worshipped. When they found him, there was no more searching either. It was over. This is the king. This is who should be worshipped. And when when we find Jesus, we find true wisdom, and it's that wisdom that leads us to worship. It's really easy for us to throw out different threats to Christmas. You've probably heard of them. All consumerism, it's going to kill Christmas. All secularism, it's going to kill Christmas. But that's not the greatest threat, is it? The greatest threat to Christmas is our own boredom with the greatest story ever told. We just get bored with it. We think we know it. We think we have all the answers. We think we know all of it. And instead, what wisdom would tell us is that this story is the most beautiful story ever and it can continue to build us and to grow us and to deepen our love for Jesus. The problem is that when we are bored with Christmas and not led to worship. And notice, there's a theme that runs throughout both of these stories. It's obedience. Joseph obeys the dream. The wise men obey. And wisdom leads to obedience, and obedience leads to worship. But don't miss this. 
True worship empowers us to obey. We pray every week that you are encouraged by the gospel. We're also we're praying that every week you're challenged to live out the gospel. So wisdom should lead us to obedience and obedience should lead us to worship. But that worship is not just the only thing. That worship that allows us, enables us to obey. And if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you don't submit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never submitted your life to Jesus. Then I want you to consider something that you've heard this morning. God has supernaturally brought his son into the world. Something that he prophesied hundreds of years before that. This son now offers you forgiveness of your sins and promises to be with you forever. Let me be very clear. If you're not a Christian, we all worship something. All of us worship something, whether it's ourselves, money, comfort, success, relationships. We all worship something question is do those things lead you to joy or are you still wanting are you still looking are you still trying to figure out what's better i got to get more of that if you are not a christian let me be very clear you will never find joy in those things today you will never find joy in those things tomorrow but you will find joy in jesus and jesus is inviting you right now into a relationship with him that will change your life During Christmas, it's really easy for us to talk about all the things that we enjoy, like food and presents. We talk, talk about Santa Claus, all good things that we get to partake in. But there's, there may be a problem, though, with potentially talking about even something like Santa Claus. Because the gospel, according to Santa, is this. I am coming if you are good and not naughty. I will reward you with stuff, if we're honest, that will end up in a yard sale. But the gospel according to Jesus is, I came, was good in your place, died for your naughtiness, and rose to reward you with treasures that will never tarnish. If you don't know Jesus today, He's offering you a reward of eternal life. Something that can never be thrown in a yard sale. He's, he's announcing, He's telling you. So if right now, if you are thinking, gosh, I don't know Jesus. Here in just a few minutes, we're going, to be, we're going to sing again. And I want you to pray. I'm asking the Lord to save you today. That you will submit your life to Him. And if you want to do that, I want you to know that we are here for you. To make that decision. To make that decision to worship. But if you are a Christian today, I also want you to know something. There's still something to do. There's still something to obey. It's God's mission. We've talked about for four weeks that God is working not just for a, a small nation of Israel, but for the entire world. We talk about our mission as a church to make mature disciples. Why do we do that? Because Matthew 28, the end of this book, tells, it tells us of Jesus who tells his disciples, go to the nations and make disciples. This is the mission of every church and every Christian disciple. We gather each Sunday, especially on Christmas, to, to be reminded of that mission, to be empowered in that mission. Think about this for just a moment. Look how Matthew has begun his gospel account. The gospel story starts with the nations coming to worship Jesus. 
And the gospel story ends with us going to the nations so that they, so that more nations can worship Jesus. That's why we're here. Now we must go to the nations. Proclaim the beauty and the story of Christmas that the joy of God's salvation is here. He's announced this salvation and is inviting you into it. The question is, will you join him? Will you join in worship? Will you join in the mission? Will you follow Christ today? Pray with me. God, we are thankful for all that you have done in us. I pray for anyone in this room right now who is considering what it would mean to give their life to you by submitting to Jesus. I pray right now, if anyone is thinking about that, that your spirit will be strong, that they may repent and believe, that they may trust you. I pray for us who are believers, who are disciples. Maybe we've been a disciple for 20 years, maybe two years, but we're now invited into this invitation and announcement that we now get to invite others and announce to them that Jesus has died for them. And may we never forget that the Christian life is about worship and a worship that invites others to join. I pray that you would make us this kind of people as we end this year. I pray that you will make us this kind of church that we are your people holding up Jesus as a light in the darkness. We love you. And we need you to make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.